0: of the media ministry of cornerstone church you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast if you open your bibles to john chapter 11 if you're new to our church or if you're visiting today usually we go through books of the bible we do what's called expository preaching where we kind of go through different books of the bible And sometimes we do that, you know, from start to finish until we end. There's other times that we may be on kind of a theme, but we still do expository preaching. That is that we kind of go through, you know, the first part of that verse to the end. We still want our message to come from God, not from, you know, our own wisdom. I say that this morning because uh, this morning the the text is 44 verses long. And I told somebody before where they came in, I said, bring a sandwich. And bring a couple of drinks, because, you know, 44 verses, that's a long time. Now, we're not going to cover all 44, but we are going to kind of cover that whole, the context of all that this morning, John chapter 11. We are in a series right now called Seven Lives. We can easily call it 21 lives, 40 lives. And these are people that came upon Christ. They either sought him out or he sought them out at different times. And in that interaction and in that discussion and in that time that they had together, their lives were completely transformed. And so far, we've looked at people that it was so obvious that their need was there. First week, we looked at somebody and, and the need that was there very much. in the, the first week, this guy, he lived in the graveyard. He, he screamed. He ran around naked. I mean, there was, this guy had obvious needs. And each week, we've seen people come, and they were people of obvious need. It was obvious that they had sin in their life. It was obvious that they were not really with God. And we saw how their lives were totally transformed as God just interacted with them, saved them, and sent them to live this life. This morning, we're going to see another life that is transformed, and yet it's a little bit different because these are people that are actually believers. These are actually some of Jesus' good friends. These are people that he knew. This isn't somebody that has this, all this you know obvious sin in their life, even though they very much... We're following people just like the rest of us. And they, you know, did things in their lives that, that needed correction. And so as we open up John chapter 11 this morning, we see the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. How many of y'all have heard those names before? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay. We knew a little bit about them. If you, if you weren't able to raise your hand, don't worry about it. We're going to fill in kind of the blanks. But these are friends of Christ. And, and we're going to find out even in the scripture that it says that Jesus loved these people. And they loved Jesus. So this isn't the woman at the well. This isn't so much this woman called in adultery. This isn't these different ones that it's the first time meeting. These people already have an intimate relationship with Christ. And I would go as far as to say that we could say scripturally that they were believers in Christ. That they do believe that he is the son of the living God. That he's the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And yet what we find in this story and what makes it unique in this story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, is that we find that even believers sometimes life can kind of take a, a left turn where we wanted to go right. That some things that we wanted to go up that sometimes go down. That just because you're a believer, just because you're a Christian, just because, like Charlie, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to follow him, doesn't mean that from that point on, everything in your whole life is just this Rose Garden experience. A lot of people kind of come to Christ thinking that, maybe. Okay, if I become a Christian, my life, all these things that are not straight are going to get straight now. And God's just going to take away all my pain, all my hurt, all the difficulties of my life. I've, not, I've been walking with Christ since I was 12. That was 42 years ago. And, and I can promise you that at least in my life, by my own testimony, he has not done that. Has he taken away my sin? Has he promised me heaven? Do I have this promise that I will live with him forevermore? Yes. And yet, difficulties all the time. All the time. So what's the use of becoming a Christian? If God's just not going to clean up everything, make everything better, why become a Christian? Number one, it's an eternal thing and not just a temporal thing. But more than that, in my struggle, there's a foundation. Before when I struggled, there wasn't a foundation, guys. It was just a struggle. And there weren't answers. And so keep that in mind this morning as we go through this, because we've been talking this whole series about transformation. And transformation, certainly the first week it was so obvious, this guy, naked, running around in the graveyard, cutting himself, acting all wild and all this. And all of a sudden, you know, it says that he was calm, sitting by the fire, and he was talking back and forth, clothed and in his right mind. And that's transformation. I mean, it's a physical transformation that you can see on the outside. This morning, what we're going to see is that for Christians, that God is still calling us to be transformed. The theological word for that is sanctification. That the minute that Christ comes into your heart, saves you, gives you new life for the rest of your life until you take your first breath of glory, we're going to be in this process called uh, uh, sanctification until we get to glorification. That is that God is ever changing our mind more and more And more. It's kind of like marriage. You know, marriage, you you sit there on day one. Man, I love that girl. Man, I love that guy. You get into it. My wife and I are about to celebrate 33 years. And I can truly say, I love that girl. And I hope she can say, I love that guy. And yet the love is a mature love. I mean, I hope that we still have that kind of teenage love. I hope that we still have that, you know, man, look at her. She's the prettiest thing ever. I hope I never lose that. I've always said I want to be 90 years old, on the rocking chair, on the front porch, holding her hand going, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I want that. And yet there's a maturity of love because all of a sudden you begin to see, when you said better for worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, that both of those really happen in life, guys. We don't live in the sterile world where all of a sudden it's just better, richer, and, and, and all these good things. But the reality of life hits us all, whether you're a Christian or you're not. But that transformation of mind, just like a transformation of a marriage, begins to show us, hey, even in the rocky days, she was right there. Even in the worst of days, he was right there. And we begin to see that there was substance in the midst of this covenant that we made with one another, these vows that we took as husband and wife. This is the experience of Christianity, guys, that there's substance there, that there's a foundation upon which Christ is building our lives. It's not that it's going to be this rose, walk through the rose garden. It's that life is tough and the world is fallen and good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And yet there's substance. There's a foundation. That Christ is built. And I pray that we see that this morning. That we will truly see what does this mean to have a transformed mind. Romans 12.2 has kind of been our go-to verse. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians. He did not write this to non-Christians. He wrote it to the church, to the people who already had faith and belief in Jesus Christ. So this instruction is not for just, okay, everybody in the world he's writing to Christians so this is instruction for the Christian life look again what he said do not be conformed to this world but be what transformed by what by the renewal of your mind there's a way that your mind's going to think that still kind of thinks fallen thinks like this world somebody hit you, you want to hit them back it's not really Christian but it certainly is human somebody hurts you really bad the Bible says to forgive, that's Christian but you don't want to forgive. That's, you know, really hard. It takes a transformation of the mind, transformation of the heart. So that's what he's talking about. But look what he says. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hey, this is how you know you can follow Christ. This is what God wants for your life. This is how you know, not just who to marry, what job to take. Should I take this job in Indiana or should I stay here? That's not really the will of God that he's talking about in that particular verse. What he's talking about is that you would just know God and how to be a follower of God. So are we in need of this transformed mind? Yes. With that in mind, look at this text. John chapter 11 somebody that Jesus loves and knows well. And it says, it introduces us in the very first verse. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So we know Lazarus, Mary, Martha, a family. Uh, They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that Jesus can help. And uh, so one of the first things they do, we find out, is that they say, okay, go tell Jesus that Lazarus is really sick. Not just a cold, not just kind of maybe the flu. He's really sick. This could really end very badly here. Unless Jesus comes and saves the day. Look at verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he, he who you what? Love. This isn't something, you know, that they have made in their mind that somehow they think, well, Jesus really loves us. You know, he, he's proven that to the, where they can speak that truth. They just don't love Jesus, but they know for a fact that Jesus loves them. This is a very important part of it, guys. I mean, it's it's kind of like some of those, it's, it's about time for American Idol again. haven't watched in years, but in the early years, you know, my wife would, and I would be watching, and there were some really, really talented people, super talented people. And then there was other times where we're going, man, nobody loves that boy, because somebody should have told that boy He cannot sing. You know? And you should wonder, does anybody really love that boy? Did his friends really not step up and go, Johnny, you're really good at a lot of things, but American Idol is not your future, okay? This, this isn't a figment of their imagination. This is something they said. You know, we're such lovable people. We have such a great family here. And I know that Jesus just loves you know They know by the experience that they've had with Jesus that not only do they love Jesus, but Jesus loves them. Very, very important part of this story. Because the truth is, Jesus can love you and He can still face hurt. And yet, in our mind, don't we equate sometimes that if Christ really is that powerful, and just at His word, He could just say the word and all of our problems would go away. Sometimes you, do you wonder, folks, do you wonder, why doesn't Jesus just take this away? Is that not a real struggle? Well, if he loved me, he would do this for me. That's the dilemma that we see here. Our mind says, if Jesus really loved me, he would take this hurt away. We suppose that somehow, if Jesus loves us, that he would spare us. So when tragedy and hurt and and pain come to our lives, and and Christ just doesn't take it away, he doesn't make it stop instantly, we begin to think, or at least I have thought in my mind at times, I wonder if he really loves me, because here's what I want... And here's the reality of what I'm having to live with. And there's a disconnect. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but what is he? God. So God, you just bring that strong. You bring that strength right in here and you knock this out. Why? Because you love me. And when there's that disconnect, guys, sometimes even believers, even people that love Jesus, can feel the tension of why is this pain? Why is this hurt? Why is this heaviness that I've prayed about time and time again? Why is it still in my life? That's the dilemma here. Look at verse 5. Just in case we wondered if Jesus really felt that way. I mean, Mary and Martha said, Hey, Jesus loves us. But look at what verse 5 says. This is the word of God. Now, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. We have the testimony of God's word, the truth of God's word. Not only did they feel and think that he loved them, he testifies himself, I love you. One of the realities of the living in this broken world is that suffering doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. And yet sometimes we really get desperate maybe even to remind God of the good things that we've done. The Mary in this story right here is not the Mary a couple weeks ago. Remember we talked about the lady who came in there and washed Jesus' feet with her tears? And I said, guys, be careful because there was actually two ladies in the Bible that did this. It's easy to confuse and think that it's just the same story being told in each of the Gospels and that somebody just kind of changed the facts. But there was actually two different Marys who went to two different houses of Simon this is the Mary that, in the other story, not the one we covered a couple of weeks ago, the other Mary. This is Mary who went in, and and if you need that biblical validation, it's the next chapter, Luke chapter 12. I'm sorry, John chapter 12, where it begins to tell us that. This is the Mary. Now, here's what we do. See if you join me in humanity with this kind of thinking. You've prayed. You've made Jesus aware aware that somebody's ill, that that you're hurting, that the job isn't working out, that there's tension in the marriage or whatever it is. You've made Jesus aware you're a believer. He hasn't fixed it right away. There wasn't any, you know, heavenly hocus pocus to make all this hurt go away. And so you start to wonder. And one of the natural instincts of us, well, God, I go to church every Sunday. And when those babies, remember, remember, they needed that in the nursery, I went in there. I volunteered one Sunday in the nursery. And remember when that person had the fire in the neighborhood? We collected canned goods. I gave pinto beans, green beans. I I gave a whole bunch. Here's what I've done. In other words, God, because of what we've done for you, do you not kind of owe us? Now, in reality, guys, let's look at that. Let's pose that question. Does God owe us anything? Through Christ has He given us everything. And yet when He has not given us what we really want in that particular prayer, that particular hurt has not been erased from our life, is there a tendency? You just tell me. You don't have to say yes or no. You don't have to raise your hand. In your heart, answer. Is there a tendency to remind God that you've been kind of working for Him? I mean, can you imagine... Mary going, you know, that was a year's worth of perfume I spilled on your feet. A year's worth. Jesus? So, this is the same Mary that did that. So, will you come and save my brother? Because I know you love him. This is our dilemma, folks. If you don't hear anything else, well, I hope this is not the main point. This is a really important point. Christianity, guys, is not... God, I scratch your back and you scratch mine. Guys, it is not; it is the farthest thing from it. You could not even begin. You know what the Bible says, and this is going to sound very, very kind of harsh to us. He said, even your best work is like a filthy rag before holy God. Wow. God, you think a lot of us, don't you? No, I'm just putting it in perspective for you, brother. That he would give us his own son. That he would die in our place the sinless for the sinful. We've been given everything. But that's the very reason why it's confusing when we're praying as they want to... Okay, Lazarus, your buddy, your friend, you've sat around our table, you've eaten with us, you love us and we love you. He's ill and he needs your help, Jesus. Look what it says in verse 4. But when Jesus heard... Yet he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What a dilemma as Christians. Do you want the glory of God? This one you can answer out loud. Do you want the glory of God? Do you want the glory of God if it costs you your brother? Well, That's not fair. I mean, in one way, theologically, intelligently, we know what the church answer is. We're in church. We're going, "Oh, Yes, I want the glory of God even over my own comfortableness and my own ability to, to be able to kind of rest in this place in my life. Because that's basically what he said. He said, look, this illness that's come, I already knew about it even before the messenger came and told me. And I want you to know that what's happening here is all part of the sovereignty of God and it's all part of of something that's going to bring glory to God. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. But Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I've got a problem. And I prayed. It's not like I just kind of wished. I prayed, Jesus, come. Come. Lazarus is sick and he delays for two days. Is this the part of Christianity that we really are familiar with? Because so many times we want God to act on our terms out of our need, on our time schedule. Here she's made it very apparent she didn't go to the doctors. She didn't go to some other, you know, person over here. She goes to Jesus. Let Jesus know that his friend that he loves Is sick. And Jesus says, I'm aware of that, and he stays two more days without coming to the aid. One of the harsh realities of Christian life is that God's plans always trump our plans. But before you get discouraged by that, before you go, well, that's a bummer, understand that God's plans are always best for us. I do not have the mind to conceive that if it's my brother who's passing you know what i need a transformed mind the very thing that he's talking about in romans 12:2 that's why we keep on coming back because i'm thinking at that point i'm conformed to the world i love my brother i came to you you didn't answer right away and change everything and so what do i need i need a transformed mind to be able to not see, we've, we've done this many times before, guys. Remember, we think in the here and now, maybe we go out a week, maybe we go out a month, maybe we even go out a lifetime, and yet Christ is forever, through his word, through his spirit, saying, thank eternally, thank eternally. And I promise you, Christian, I promise you, believers, that love Jesus and Jesus loves you, that there will be some days that's all you've got is the eternal. You don't have the temporary. But it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. And it doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you didn't do enough. Mary's not going, well, I guess I should have brought two bottles of perfume. Verse 7 and 8. I mean, the disciples have been traveling with him. All this time, they, they should know the ins and outs of this ministry of Christ, and yet they're clueless, as they often were. Look what happens in verse 7 and 8. Then after, he's, uh, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Let me tell you, fill you in the background. He had just left, and left with the skin on his back. The religious leaders, the people revolting against Christ. I mean, there's many that love Christ, but there are many, especially the religious leaders, that are revolting against Christ. And they left that, and they're going, I got out of a hot situation. And now Jesus says, well, let's go to Judea. In other words, let's go right back where those people were trying to kill us. And they actually asked Christ about that. You really want to go back? Do you forget They're going to stone us. The disciples have no desire to go there. Jesus said, but but Lazarus has fallen asleep. And one of them comes over, and he's using that term. He knows that he has died. He's using that term because that's the term that we see in the New Testament a lot for saints, for Christians, for believers who have died. They call it fallen asleep. Why? Because we don't stay asleep. We live forevermore in the glory of Christ. So Jesus says they fell asleep. They take it literally. They don't want to go back to this place where there's friction and they, they come after their heads. So they said, well, if he falls asleep, he'll wake up. I promise you, he'll wake up. We don't have to go. In the morning, set the alarm, he'll wake up. Look what Thomas, remember Doubting Thomas. It wasn't that he was the only one that doubted. He was the only one that spoke up. (laughs) Everybody else doubted. Thomas is just the guy that you pointed to in the corner that uh, usually, hey, Mikey, you ask him. (laughs) Remember, if you had brothers and sisters as kids, there was always one of the siblings that, hey, you go ask. That's Thomas. He's the one that's going to say and verbalize what everybody else is thinking. And look what he says, verse 16. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples let us also go and what is his conclusion hey if he has a death wish (laughs) let's just go die with him he finally started heading out to Lazarus two days later By this time, the Bible says Lazarus has been dead for four days. They've buried him. They've wrapped him, as tradition would be, in in cloth. They've anointed his body with ointments. They've put him in a tomb and they've sealed it. Back then, they would bury people in caves and they would get rocks, big rocks, and they would kind of seal that, just like Jesus was. He's been in there for four days. And Jesus shows up. By that time, there's a lot of other people that have come, kind of like our visitation when somebody passes nowadays. Friends and family come out to well-wishers and say, man, we love you. You know, we, we hate that your dad, your mom, your brother, your sister passed. And here, here's what they meant to us in our life. And it's an encouragement time. That's happening. There's a lot of people with Mary and Martha. And they're saying, well, we're so sad at the passing of your brother. It's been four days. And Jesus shows up. Verse twenty twenty one. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And listen to the humanity of this, guys. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. There's a lot of different ways you can interpret that. And I'm not saying this is the only way that you can interpret this. I do believe it's the one that flows with the story and is the most correct out of this. Because you could say that is really a low blow. Hey, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we prayed and we sent for you and you stayed two more days and now it's been four days. My brother did pass. Just want you to know, Jesus, he did die. It really could be that. I don't think it's that. I think this is the voice of a believer who acknowledges that Jesus could have saved him. And so it's not so much a statement of unbelief as it is of wonder. Why didn't you? When my dad passed a couple years ago. I mean, I get this. I prayed and prayed. If you take God one word, one word, and this cancer is gone. Prayer's a belief. Prayers knowing that God could. Mine was not a voice of unbelief. Mine was the voice of wonder. Why, God? Believers confessing belief that Jesus can still can have hurtful times in their lives, God. Guys, The wonder is not so much if Jesus could. Please get this. It's that Jesus didn't. Does that, do you track with that? I mean, do you understand that? Do you understand the difference, the differentiation that we're making? Because this is really key, guys. This is key to our Christian lives, to take it out of this story from 2,000 years ago and what we're living day by day. This is the point that people that love Jesus, trust Jesus, believe that Jesus can, can still wonder why he didn't. Now, you may be a sanctimonious soul today and go, well, I have never wondered why God did. Well, bless you. And I say that in all sincerity, bless you, because you are on a realm so far above this pastor and many of the believers that I counsel with and that I live with. And we want to know your secret. And I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just saying if you live there and you've never wondered, not unbelief, but wondered why God had did it this way instead of that way, I need to know your secret. Because as a believer for 42 years, I know that God can. But there are times I wonder why God didn't. Verse 32. Verse 32. That's what Martha said. There's one more sister. What is her name? Mary. Out of the two, biblically, which one do we kind of see as more of the follower of Jesus as far as really worship in her heart? Martha or Mary? Mary. She's kind of, if you want to say just, you know, spiritually a little bit more there. So Mary's going to come out now and greet Jesus. And surely she's going to approach it so much more theologically, spiritually mature than Martha did. Verse 32. Then when Mary came... To where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. See, she's worshiping already. She's so mature. Oh, but wait. And she says to them, Lord, if you have not been here, my brother would not have died. Is there an echo in the room? She loves Jesus. She believes in Jesus. And yet she has the same question. It's not unbelief. She's confessing. If you would have been here, you could have said the word. You could have saved my brother. I'm just wondering why you didn't. This is where the transformed mind comes. I'll never forget the words of my mom when my dad passed far faster than we thought. A very spiritual woman Loves Jesus, believes in Jesus, knows that Jesus can. And yet the first words that day were, I wondered if we prayed enough. And my heart hurt for my mom. Because I said, Mom, it's not about how much we did. And, you know, can you imagine living in that conundrum, guys? Oh, man, 999 prayers. The magic number was a thousand if I would have only known. This isn't, I scratch your back, God. You scratch mine. Please throw that out. God owes us nothing, and yet he's given us everything, guys. Everything in Christ Jesus. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved. The Greek word there is a guttural feeling. It's not just this kind of oh man, kind of she makes me nervous when she cries. You know, you get nervous sometimes if people are crying. You know, no. The word in the Greek here is that this is deep down in the gut. It's deep down in your very soul. He sees their crying and Jesus, deep in his spirit and soul, was deeply moved and his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then that famous verse, Jesus wept. He's a compassionate God. And even though he did not save Lazarus in the time frame that they wanted him saving, he's not this unfeeling God going, Okay, I got a schedule, I've got a timeline, you didn't fit into it, sorry, grow up. This is not the heart of Christ. He sees their brokenness and he is broken with them. Verse 36. So the Jews said to him, See how he loved him? They look at Jesus and say, man, This guy really did love Lazarus a lot. But some of them said, Typical human response. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? We keep on coming back to that. We know you can. Why didn't you? Mary and Martha are asking it. Now the whole crowd is. If you loved, then the usual response is if you loved this much that you're hurting all the way down in your gut, then you would have done exactly what Mary and Martha wanted you to do. Everybody on this page, except for Christ, is making this connection. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And she said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now look at verse 42, guys. We're going to start to sum it up right here. Jesus tells the Father, I know that you always hear me, and then we get this word, but. But what? But I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus said, look, Father, I trust you. Your time on table is perfect. You're sovereign in all ways. But I say these things, and I say it out loud even, so that their faith may grow. Christ has not abandoned you in your hurt. He may not have done it the way that you want it. You may stand and wonder why God didn't do it this way or that way, but He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. Closing verses, verse 43 and 44. And when He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the ESV has come out. Can you imagine the, the... Roll away the stone. Four days later, everybody's going. Maybe if he would have got here an hour later, he got to do something like spiritual CBR, and maybe Lazarus, but not four days later. Lazarus come out and get the last verse, guys. This is a, this is our, our tracking for this next week. This is the the mind changer, the transformation of mind to think differently. The man who had died, Lazarus, came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips. This was the tradition. They looked like a mummy, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. And there are some this morning, guys, that you're in wonder. You're not in unbelief, but you're in wonder. And I believe that those words are for you and for me this morning that sometimes wonder that Jesus commands, unbind Pastor Bobby, and you let him go. And you let him rest even in this, that this is the providence of God. He may not understand it, this side of heaven, but give him a peace even in the midst of his wonderment. can bad things happen to people that love Jesus? Can difficult times come to people that Jesus loves? Are there times in our lives that we kind of get into this thought that, okay, if I just would have tried harder, done more, scratched a little bit harder, Christ would have probably answered this, but somehow this is all my fault. And do we also get sometimes, hey, if he didn't do what I said, he must not care. All those are valid things that come through our minds. But here's, here's the, the, the learning point. Here's the teaching point, And here's the living point for a transformed mind, guys. That those things that are dead, he brings to life. And those things that are bound, he unbinds, and he says, you go free. And so this morning, if you're in wonder... And something in your life has has died? Something seems bound? You you, you seem like you're all tied up with this affliction? And you wonder, maybe Jesus doesn't care, or he does. Why isn't he doing it on my timetable? This morning, I I believe that he says, Bobby, come forth. You come forth. You transform your thinking. You you, you get out of this and, and take this eternal picture and know that I am sovereign God got this. But just as importantly as I've got this, I've got you. And some days, guys, some days, that will be all that we have. But on those very days, you'll be more than enough. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, this is a different story than the others. Father, this isn't a person that we just see in such obvious sin. That we see this just heroic thing that Christ does where He comes in and swoops down and saves the day? Father, what we see is believers that have doubts and believers that are going through the hardships of of life in a fallen world. People that believe and, and yet their belief is kind of shaken and there's a friction there between what they believe and Father, what they understand. And many of us, Father, many of us, would fit into that category today. Father, we know that you are God, that you sent your Son Christ to die for us, that we can have life eternal with you because of the work of Christ, not because of our work. And yet we still wonder when the challenges and the difficulties of life come, and especially when we've prayed and we sent word. And yet, Father, it's sometimes it seems like you delayed two days longer. How do we believe? Will you help our unbelief? Will you help our wonder? And for those that are bound this morning in grave clothes, would you unbind them and call them out? if Satan has convinced them that, hey, you just didn't pray enough, you just didn't try hard enough, you didn't love God enough, God didn't love you enough, Father, would you free them from those binding lies Will you take off their grave clothes and will you set them free this morning, Father, so that their trust is implicitly in your goodness of who you are and that we can praise you all the days of our lives and never, ever wonder If you love us. We may still wonder why you did this or why you did that. Why you didn't do this or why you didn't do that. But Father, help us never to wonder if you love us and if you have a plan and if we can trust you. We give you this time, Father. We sing this last song in response to you as both a confession of our need and a profession of our belief as we pray this, sing this to you.